Amen. That's what we're all about, recognizing Jesus as Lord and seeking to draw men and women to him. Well, the Christian life is a life of faith, is it not? It is true that without faith, it is impossible to please God. What an amazing thing to say. If you want to please God in your life, it starts with faith. The Bible says that all that does not come from faith is sin. Not only is it impossible to please God without faith, the absence of faith, the Bible calls sin. We're justified by faith, not by what we do so that no one can boast. Every day our lives are defined by our faith, but the object of our faith is the essential reality. It's not primarily about this feeling we somehow conjure up from within. It's about what our faith is in. And for us, that means who our faith is in. And that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, I hope you have seen that our deep desire is just what we were singing. That we would come to know Jesus that we would all be drawn to the Savior, that we would see him as the one we desperately need and the one who indeed is Lord of all. And as we come to a passage this morning, one of my greatest concerns is how familiar it is to us. It's a Christmas passage. I've preached it before at this church. Randy Grundyke has preached it before at this church. Moyer Hubbard has preached it before at this church. And I went and listened to their sermons, and they were great. Please go listen to them. But I want us to hear this passage in a way where we've never heard it before. One of the problems is familiarity. Things that are familiar, we can grow weary of. We can grow used to. We can shut off because we think we know it. But please, let's hear the word of God this morning in Luke chapter 1 with fresh ears and responsive, yielding hearts as God describes this incredible story of Mary finding out what's going to happen. What a great passage to preach on Mother's Day. (laughs) In some ways, it's something that every mother can relate to, this amazing realization that you're going to have a baby. But in some ways, this is absolutely nothing like any mother ever has or will experience. It's incredible. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Help us, Lord, now as we go to your word to hear from you. Amen. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, now what's that referring to? That's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So it's already pointing us back to the previous miracle of this woman who was well past the age of bearing children, bearing a child. So in the six months, as this previous miracle is well on its way to developing, we have another announcement of another miracle. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same one that announced the miracle with Elizabeth that Jackson helped us understand last week, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now I want you to notice that these places and people are being introduced 
and they need to be. You've heard people say, now this man needs no introduction. These people do, and these places do. That's because they're unknown. They're insignificant from a worldly perspective. In the area of Galilee, a little village of Nazareth. Now you need to know, and I've been to Nazareth. <laughs> it's nothing. It, maybe 50 people lived in this little village with open sewers in the streets. and It's just amazing how, how insignificant from a worldly perspective Nazareth was. And we find there a virgin betrothed. So she has committed to marriage to a man, but not married, never having been with a man in a married way. She's a virgin, betrothed to a man, though, whose name was Joseph. He needs an introduction as well. Nothing well known about him of the house of David. So Joseph is, it's mentioned, of the house of David, the messianic line from which the ultimate king will come. David being a prototype, one who prepares us as a foreshadowing of the ultimate king to come, the ultimate messianic king to come. And the virgin's name was Mary. She needed an introduction. And he, the angel, the messenger, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who's called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a glorious story we have here. There are seven things about our faith that I think this passage teaches us we need to learn this morning. Seven things. 
Our faith is supernatural. Our faith is supernatural. Our faith is scandalous. Our faith is spirit-dependent. It is submissive. It's in the Savior, and it is sustaining for today. I really didn't force these S's. I hate forcing alliteration if it's not really there. I didn't force these. I, they came quite naturally, I think. Maybe spirit-led, perhaps. But supernatural, scandalous, spirit-dependent, submissive in the Savior, and sustaining for today. The first thing, it's supernatural. It's been interesting to be alive as a Christian as long as I have, because when I was young, naturalism was taking hold a scientific worldview that said miracles don't happen. I've actually watched that change significantly in my perspective in my life. I think now people are far more open to the supernatural, to the miraculous, than they were when I was a younger person. But it still requires a major realization for us to know that the Christian faith is radically supernatural. It is not just explained by repeatable scientific method. There are philosophers who say the only things you can know, like David Hume, who's actually related to the man Hume Lake is named after, did you know that? David Hume said that the only thing that can really be known is what can be demonstrated and repeated in a scientific way, empirical observation. And so if that's your view of the world, you can't be a Christian. If you think the only things you can know in substantive and meaningful ways, never mind transforming ways, are things that are repeatable in a scientific way, in a laboratory, then you just can't be a Christian. This does not mean at all that we as Christians don't love science, that we love reason, that we love logic. Please don't think that faith is believing in what's illogical or irrational or unscientific. Not at all. Science is a friend of the Christian faith. We love the world as God's made it, and we, when we study the solar system or the cell, we see something awesome about who God is. That's why he made it the way he did, because he wants us to worship in response to it. So we never believe in anything irrational or illogical or unscientific, but we most certainly believe in things that are mind-blowingly incomprehensible and well beyond our ability to repeat in a laboratory or control or fully explain. No, I love apologetics. I've taught apologetics. And I, I think Biola does apologetics and, and philosophical reasoning better than anywhere where I teach. But I don't want us to lose the awesomeness of our faith. You know, I, sometimes I, I hear people explain their faith and it's like, oh, this makes perfect sense. It's, yes, it's, it's quite logical. I, if, you're just, if you just think for a little while, you'll come to accept this. And I just, I just don't want us to lose a sense of, I know, isn't this incredible? Isn't this amazing? I know, a woman who had never had sexual intercourse with a man has a child. <laughs> I, I can't explain how that is. And Mary even says, how can this be? I love her question. And once again, the God doesn't answer her question. And here we see not explanations of the how, but of the who. You know, the Bible does that a lot. 
When you read the creation account, the how is not what's in focus. It's the who, God, and the what, a creation that declares his glory and human beings made in his image. For what? For his glory and for the delight of his creatures. It doesn't explain the details of the how in scientific ways as we may want. And this is true of every miracle in the Bible. Mary wants to know how this can be. And God says, it can be with God. It, it, she's pointed to a person. She's pointed to the God who made everything. I remember one time I was changing the tire for a young lady. I, I love helping people on the side of the road when they break down. I was actually quite sad the other day thinking about how seldom I do that because of cell phones. You know, I drive by people now, and they're just waiting for whomever to arrive because they immediately call them. People used to be desperate on the side of the road before cell phones. You remember those days? They used to ask her for directions, too. That was other uh, social interaction I really miss. But I, I, I would always jump at the chance, even if it meant missing a, an appointment, to help someone on the side of the road. And they led some, to some of the most wonderful conversations. I remember I was talking to a young lady, 17. She was already a mom. And, and I, was, I started to tell her about Jesus. I didn't want to, but the Spirit was leaving me no choice. It was so clear. I just said, Lord, can I just do a nice random act of kindness? And it was clear he was saying, no, tell Melissa about me. And so I did. And she said, oh, yeah, you sound like my mom. You know, um, she said, I believe God created everything and all, but I just think that that there are some things in the Bible I just can't figure out. Now, she's a new mom. Her baby was in the car. And, and I said, like, what? What do you have a hard time with? And she said, well, like the virgin birth, quite relevant to her life at that moment, you know. And I said, Melissa, you just said that you think God created everything from nothing. And you don't think he could pull off the virgin birth? She said, oh, I never thought of it that way. And it's, we're talking about God here, the God who spoke everything into existence with his mere words. See, we're talking about something so different here than we are. The Christian faith is supernatural. It's supernatural. And it's scandalous. I mean, think about this situation. The, the angel comes to Mary and moves her from a situation of, of a, a, a poor young lady, a, a teenager, who's about to be married but isn't married yet, and she's going to have pregnancy. And I was listening to Moyer's sermon on it. Moyer, you're such a good... Where are you, Moyer? I saw you walk in. Where are you, Moyer? Hi, Moyer. Good to see you. Moyer, you're such a good preacher. Thank you. I listened to your sermon on this. It was so good. I was tempted to just use the whole thing and give you credit for it. But, but Moyer said, and Donna reminded me of this. Moyer, you need to preach more. I don't care how busy you are. It's, um, Donna said, do you remember when Moyer preached on this? Like 30 years ago or whenever it was. He had no gray hair. I watched the video, Moyer. No gray hair. Um, he said, Donna said, Moyer said that Elizabeth moved from shame to no shame. And Mary moved from no shame to shame. Now, socially, neither of their situations were shameful. To be barren 
uh, was not shameful. And it was not shameful to, to, to be the one God's using with the virgin conception, but socially they will sh were shameful conditions. And God knows this. This is a scandal. It's a scandal. They're saying, what's wrong with Elizabeth? And, and now, what's up with Mary? And so they move from a situation of, 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 of uh, shame to no shame and, and no shame to shame. But the fact is, God is putting them in situations that are scandalous, that from the world's perspective are foolish to, to do it this way. Why would God do it this way? And it's so important to realize that our faith is going to be looked at as foolishness from the world's perspective because we come to God and his ways with our agendas of how he should work if he really knows what he's doing. And man, I, again, in my life, I've seen such an increasing freedom to tell God what he better be like and how he better do things if he's going to get my worship. We come to him with our agendas and our contracts. And, and we're quite disappointed when he doesn't comply. And that's just not how it works. And God so intentionally does it this way. He chooses a little nation that he needs to constantly remind, wait, 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 wait. Are you starting to think I chose you because you were so numerous or so impressive or so great? He's constantly saying, no, not the impressive one from the world's perspective, from, but from the one no one would expect anything from coming that doesn't get voted most likely to succeed at Nazareth High School. Now, we, we, we live our lives seeking superlatives from the world's perspective. That's just not how God works. Listen to how God works, 1 Corinthians 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise so that no one may boast before him. He's doing things in a way where there will be no doubt where the credit should go. Him, his glory. Now, it may be a shot to your ego to be called a foolish thing of the world. But I want to suggest to you, you need to become quite at peace with that. And love that. Every time I see a little Jewish boy with a yarmulke during the Sabbath, I think, oh, there's something so good about teaching children in your religion from their earliest days that you're different. You're different. And yeah, your friends are going to make fun of you at school. But what an opportunity to point them to what that represents, that humility before God. I think, oh, now I don't want to depend on external things like that. And we don't have to. You know, Paul says, how many of you came from noble birth? How many people would look at you and say, well, yes, it makes perfect sense that, that God chose you. It makes perfect sense that God's using you. No, we need to have a sense of the scandal of our faith. And Jesus leads the way in this. John 1, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Even Mary, who we're talking about today, this incredible woman, she thinks her son's crazy at one point in his ministry. 
Luke chapter 8. And Jesus has to say, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who hear my words and do it, they are my mother and brothers. You see, he redefines his family according to those who obey his word, who hear his word and obey it. Listen to Michael Card in a song called The Scandalon, referring about Jesus, The Scandal. The seers and the prophets had foretold it long ago, that long-awaited one would make men stumble. But they were looking for a king to conquer and to kill. Who'd have ever thought he'd be so meek and humble? He will be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And many will be broken. Quoting the words of Simeon here that will tell this to Mary in just a little while. So that he can make them whole. And many will be crushed and lose their own souls. Along the path of life, there lied the stubborn scandal on. And all who come this way must be offended. To some, he's a barrier. To other, he's the way. For all should know the scandal of believing. We've, we need to be good with being considered fools. You know, I... I've just loved watching the way God's worked through this whole COVID situation that we would have never chosen. And, and we had a time of prayer on a Tuesday morning a couple of weeks ago, and for about 20 minutes, we were thanking God for all the ways he used this time that would have never been what we would have chosen. But the way he used it, I have loved listening to people order their food during church. I've loved it. I didn't think I would. At first, it was a distraction. There's something so right about this. I love it. Look, hello, people. Yes, it's, we're, we're public. We used to be public before when we were in this building. They would see us out on the street, and they, they haven't for years. And now they have. For all, the, all these months, we're, we're on public display. My voice right now is bouncing off that milk sign right there and coming. It's bouncing off of Marshall's. People are watching the people of grace worship God publicly. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss one service where we're all together. I'm going to miss watching the kids play guitars. It's just amazing. And, and to be together as a family and to see resourcefulness and a willingness to be uncomfortable and to lug a chair in. I've loved it. I've missed being... When we moved out of that building, my big concern was... That, that people who uh, are afraid of asbestos won't come and, and that, that people are coming for facilities in, in nicer places. You know, if you go on Yelp and read church reviews, it's terrifying, the things people value in churches. God has worked in so many wonderful ways this year, ways we would have never chosen. And we need to learn from this. And when things don't go the way we would want, when God is orchestrating things that are uncomfortable or even tragic in our lives, what's our attitude? To become whiny and complaining and despairing and, and hopeless? Or do we say, all right, Lord, all right, what are you going to do? Lord, build my faith. Help me to trust you in these far than less ideal circumstances. Help me to trust you, whatever that looks like. Maybe something's going to happen today that's going to be perplexing to you. 
But that's how God works in, in often perplexing, far less than ideal circumstances from our perspective. But realize, number three, our faith is spirit-dependent. He's the one who brings these things about. He's the one who enables us to have the perspective we're looking for here. John uh, tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what's going on here. This virgin conception, and I actually think that's a much better term than virgin birth. Could we all just decide to say virgin conception instead of virgin birth? Virgin birth makes it seem like his birth was somehow unique or supernatural or something. It wasn't. It was terrible. It was bloody. I mean, if you were planning, if you were God and you were planning to come to earth, would, would manure be included in that? Probably not. But it was for God. In his ways. But the virgin conception is this mind-blowing miracle that the Spirit brings about. And Luke is very concerned that we appreciate the Spirit's work in the life and ministry of Jesus. Here at the virgin conception, he's the one that makes it happen. The Father sends the Son. The, joy, the Son joyfully submits to the will of the Father and goes. And the Spirit is the one who makes it all happen in a reality. He's the one who brings about the virgin conception. He's the one who anoints Jesus at his baptism. He's the one who leads him out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Another thing we would never choose in our job description is Messiah. But he's led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. So he is so important in this. The Spirit enables all this to happen, and he's the one who enables us to see the truth of God in it. Number four, our faith is submissive, but it's not without struggle. Verse 38 shows us that she submits, Mary submits to this truth, does she not? She recognizes that she has to trust God here, not because all her questions are answered, not because this makes sense to her, not because she would have done it this way, but because she is pointed to the one who is able to do all things well. With God, it's possible. With God, this is possible. So she says, I'm the servant of the Lord. She submits. And it's not without difficulty. Look, look what it says. But, but she was greatly troubled in verse 29. And she tried to discern this. She's troubled. She's perplexed. She's really bothered by this. She's not settled with this. She gets to the point of submission to this. But it's not because she's gotten it all figured out or knows exactly how this is going to play out or what God's up to entirely. And actually throughout her life, even as Jesus is an adult, she's still figuring it out. But she submits our our faith has struggled, but it's got a submissiveness at the same time. And it's based on God's sovereign grace. We believe in the one who is making all things come to pass in a way that glorifies him. Our faith is saving. It's submissive, but it's saving as well. The virgin conception, doesn't it get explained? But what we know happens is Jesus. And Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. God saves. God saves through this. That's what we know is happening. The, the, the details of it aren't explained for us, but what we know is the result. The result is the God-man with a nature like Adam and in his ability not to sin. And that's why he really represents us. That's why he really saves us, because he's the son of God. That's who he is. He's the son of God who saves us. He's the savior of the world. He is the one we need. Our faith is saving because it's in the savior. 
Look how he's described. It's, it's awesome. Look at verse 32. He will be great. This passage isn't ultimately about Mary. It's about Jesus. He will be great. Great in an unqualified way like that is used only of God in the Bible. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. This is a description only of God in the Bible with no qualification to it. He will be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High, the divine Son of the great King. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, to his kingdom there will be no end. This king comes as the Messiah, and his kingdom never ends. It's eternal. It goes on forever. And so our faith is in the Savior, and so our faith is a saving faith. It's what restores us into relationship with God. It's what brings us into fellowship with him. And this morning, if you've never had a relationship with God based on God's saving work in Christ, please don't leave here today as an orphan. Don't leave here today to die in your sins one day. Jesus saves us. If, and if, if you're going to see Jesus as Savior, you need to believe you need saving. You, you can't ever think that just being a nice person We'll get it done. That you'll somehow have everything you need in just being a nice person. I think that's one of the great lies that morality and niceness and compassion is what matters. One of the things I love most about the young generation coming up these days is how compassionate you are. More compassionate and kind than any generation I've seen. But so often that compassion isn't grounded in truth. It's just niceness. It's just affirmation. It's just tolerance. But we speak the truth in love. And the truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And unless you come to terms with him, you'll die in your sins. You won't find salvation from the punishment and the payment and the guilt of your sin that Jesus offers. Jesus is offering this morning because of who he is as the God-man, representing God and representing us as he lives his life of obedience and dies perfectly on a cross and rises victoriously from the dead. He is that for you if you trust him. I think far better than terms like ask Jesus into your heart or give Jesus your life is trust him. Have faith in him. You know, I've done whitewater rafting and kayaking and things like that. And it's amazing how still the water can be and quiet and gentle the water can be. Not far at all from a, a, tr a tremendous waterfall. You can just be cruising along, not knowing that right around the bend, your death awaits. <laughs> and I thought about that. That's how life can be. We can just be meandering, you know, sitting in an inner tube in these, these almost still waters, not knowing that judgment awaits. Death awaits every single one of us. And when we trust the one who is great, the son of the most high, who has an everlasting kingdom, we can be freed from the wrath to come and the death that awaits every one of us. Please cling to the Savior. Trust him. Depend on him, turn from sin and self, and trust Jesus. Please don't leave here today without doing that. Lord, help us in this. And finally, our faith is sustaining. 
It's John Piper's book title. It's, it's, it's faith in future grace. See, what God has done in the past gives us faith and confidence in what he'll do in the future. I just, I just absolutely rejoiced in what angel Gabriel, this terrifyingly glorious angel, says to Mary in verse 36. I just love it. He's talking about this Messiah and the greatness of this work of the Spirit and who this Messiah will be. And then he just almost pauses and says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. You know, it was just six months ago, Mary, I was over at your relative Elizabeth's house telling her something pretty miraculous and amazing then, too. She's six months pregnant now. It's working. See, isn't that so kind of God? He could just say, Mary, this is how you're going to be used by God. Submit. But he's being persuasive here. He's saying, Mary, remember Elizabeth and the miracle we've done in her? She's six months pregnant now. She's going to give birth to the last old covenant prophet. It's working, Mary. The miracles have been going on since creation, Mary. Mary, you can trust God for what awaits you because of what you've seen him do in the past. And we need to hear this. This is not just for our salvation. It's most certainly that. It's for our sustenance every day. See, what God has done through Mary and through us in the miracle of regeneration for those who have trusted Christ, what he's done in us needs to give us faith for the infertility or the miscarriage. He needs to give us faith for the relationship that seems irreconcilable. I have seen God work in miraculous ways in human hearts, bringing reconciliation when no one would have bet on it. We need faith in God's amazing grace for that wayward child. And all we can do is pray for those uncertain finances and futures, for that besetting sin that seems to have won yesterday, maybe this morning. We need faith and future grace for today and for tomorrow and for next week, whatever God has on our plates right now and what he'll have on our plates tomorrow and next week. Very often the hardest thing is the uncertainty. We need faith to deal with a debilitating illness or disability or death that's now put us in hospice. We need faith, and God has given us the most wonderful evidence for sustaining faith in this story this morning. And in the new birth, the miraculous new birth from above, he's given everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. Let's be people who have our faith in what God has done, ultimately in the God who's done it, and believe him when he says, I'm with you and I'm for you. Count on it. Heavenly Father, help us to believe, to trust, to rely with faith 
Lord, thank you that this young girl who been, has been put in this shameful social condition with so many uncertainties was able to say, I trust, I submit, I believe, I'm a servant of the Lord. Do with me as you will. Lord, I thank you that that is just a faint echo of the words of her son, our Savior, when he would say, not my will, but thy will be done, as he wrestled and sweat his drops of blood in the garden before he went to the cross and suffered physical anguish, but even more spiritual anguish as he's considered accursed and afflicted, as he is judged for the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that we would be able to joyfully submit to you and your ways, even though they're so often inscrutable to us. Lord, would you help us to be people of faith? Would you help us to cause people who know us, who don't know the Savior, to scratch their heads and say, how? How can they have hope? How can they have joy? How can they have gratitude, given the pain and the suffering and the uncertainties and the difficulty? And Lord, help us to be a people who in those moments, in those questions, point people not to ourselves, but to the one who saved us and the one who's promised that we'll get home safe and hear, well done, good and faithful servant of the Most High. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.